Hello, 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 New Haven, and welcome back to Arts Respond on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven. I'm your host, Lucy Gelman, and today I'm really excited to be here with Jamal Robinson and Oren Ferris of the Change in the Air Festival happening October 14th from noon to 5 p.m. at Bears Smokehouse in New Haven. We're going to get into the whole festival. We're going to get into some backstories and storytelling because um, you know that I love to get into the Wayback Machine and talk to folks about how they got bitten by the artistic bug, and in this case, the the brewing bug, which I, I put that into artistry. I don't know if both of you do. Yeah, I think uh, any brewer would agree with that. Yeah, yeah I, I think there is, um, there's definitely an artistry and, and certainly like an alchemy to brewing beer. So first of all, um, I would love Jamal to ask you, you know, we have a very general listenership. Some folks may already be familiar with the Change in the Air Festival, but a lot of folks coming to this interview may not be. And so I'm wondering if you can just provide like a, you know, sort of your two minute or or longer or shorter um what is the festival for folks who haven't come to it? And then we'll talk about why it's really, really important. Sure. Um so the festival is a beer festival, um, kind of at the roots of it. It is a, the largest fundraiser for our African-American Brewers Scholarship uh, that was established by New England Brewing Company in collaboration with Sacred Heart University. Um, but it also is, you know, the means of the scholarship being to diversify who's working in the industry. Uh, the festival is meant to not just be a fundraiser, but to also be a new space to help diversify who's drinking craft beer and what the spaces in which we drink craft beer look and feel like. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the industry. So I was amazed when I think you and I first spoke at the Seeing Sounds Festival, which Trey Moore, shout out to Trey, organized earlier this year. And um, I was amazed because just off the top of your head, you were like, let me tell you some statistics about the craft brewing industry. And I hadn't realized, one, that it was such a huge industry, um, but two, and, you know, maybe... I should not, I, I should absolutely not have been surprised by this, but that it is still so dominated by um, white folks and especially like cisgender heterosexual white men. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, you know, craft beer represents 85 plus billion dollars in America right now uh, in terms of an economic impact. And that's just not just who's drinking beer, but also through, you know, the food trucks that are at these breweries, the artists that are doing the labels and all the other manufacturing aspects that go into that but then craft beer really only represents 15 percent of beer so when we talk about like this huge economic impact that the beverage industry that beer has um, specifically uh, and then you know black folks represent less than one percent of that people of color represent less than five percent of that in terms of employment um, or ownership uh, it's a there's a huge disparity through like you know what america looks like and uh, this is one of you know several industries that really need to focus on diversity as a whole. And do you think part of that, and and Oren, feel free to hop in as well. Do you think part of that is how craft beer has been like marketed as well? Because I feel like craft beer wasn't a thing. So I'm in my 30s. And when I was growing up in Detroit, I don't feel like craft beer was a thing. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was. Maybe I just wasn't aware of it. Yeah, I mean, those were the, the, the early days of craft beer. I think over the last, you know, 15 years or so, you've really seen craft beer, like, boom into this this thing that it is now. Um, but in the early, you know, late 80s, late 70s to through the 80s and 90s, um, you know, the original craft beer drinkers, if you will, were people with disposable income, people who have maybe traveled overseas and had tried, you know, other European beers, um, or certainly people with, like, a, a basic understanding of, of of like brewing science and to, to start home brewing and being able to buy homebrew kits. And if we know anything about the early 80s and 90s, those were not people of color that were in positions to, to fit those demographics. So especially the industry itself was was marketed specifically to white males and has always kind of been built that way. And I think, you know, as a whole craft industry, you know, when I think of all the relationships I've had, people that I've met, it's a very welcoming, open-minded space for the most part, but you've got this wheel that's kind of been built for a specific demographic, not just for how we market craft beer, but also the access into the industry is, is, is kind of in a specific way that, that Black folks and people of color are not really in, 
inherently and organically in those positions to to find themselves in the positions to transition into the industry. So then without being very intentional about breaking the wheel and kind of rebuilding and changing how people get into the industry or, or what access looks like or what the spaces look and feel like, then you're really going to keep the same cycle, even if you've got a, a bunch of really, really great people in the space. Absolutely. So let's also, so let's talk about the festival. And, and I should say for um, listeners who don't know or aren't familiar with it, it's part of the Change in the Air Foundation. So this is part of a greater umbrella um, organization with a greater mission. And I'm wondering if if you can talk about like that change work and also how that work can be fun. Yeah, I've always said and, and anyone I've ever hired or any presentation I've given in terms of sales, I live in the sales and marketing world in the, in the beer industry. I'm not a brewer, um, but, I, you know, we're we're selling beer. <laughs> we can't have some fun doing this. Uh, we're messing up somewhere along the line. Uh, so I think it, it has been fun, but the foundation as a whole is 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 <clears throat> a focused with a group of us trying to tackle this aspect of diversifying the industry from from multiple angles and, and trying to bring in people and entities that that foster that and it's also about like bringing community together and bringing black and brown community in a place in a way that they can engage with craft beer in a way that is comfortable and familiar and and feels approachable and and not you know out of out of the element of what we already like to do as a a culture as a people and when did this become also a discussion about okay we're like we're trying to do this like sis systems change work is hard right and so at some point i assume that this became a discussion like hey we are going to get together and and be the ct brewers guild african-american brewing scholarship or we're going to have this scholarship specifically for folks who are interested in brewing have historically been boxed out of the brewing industry for a number of reasons um and it's a really cool collaboration. It's between Nebco, New England Brewing Co., which we almost had in New Haven, but that's that's a different episode <laughs> of the show. And I'm not going to talk about it. I'm a little bit bitter, but I'm not going to talk about it right now. Um, and the Connecticut Brewers Guild. And then, of course, Sacred Heart University, which you, which you mentioned. Yeah. You know, it started, um, the scholarships themselves started here at Nebco back in 2020. Um, at the height of all the protests and everything going on, we looked at ourselves as a company. I looked at myself individually as a, as a black man in this industry, going on 20 years now in this industry and feeling like there's not a lot of people that look like me uh, in this space. And what does that mean? We've done a lot for, as a, as a company, New England Brewing, part of our ethos is giving back to community. Um, but we didn't have anything built specifically for black community when we talk about that. So it was about us as a team kind of being like, all right, what can we do to kind of make an impact and, and be thought leaders and intentional about making some change here, not just for black community, but, but also how that affects our, our industry. And that's where we came up with the, uh, the scholarship. Sacred Heart had launched their brewing science program. We thought, man, it would be a great way to provide equitable access into the industry if we created an actual scholarship, which brought us down the rabbit hole of how to create scholarships and uh, what that really means. Um, so there's the two types. There's the annual scholarship that's, you know, an entity would just pay for every year. And there's a, an endowment fund where you raise enough money and put it into an account. The interest off of that account would spin off and then pay for, you know, parts of the scholarship. The Brewing Science Program at Sacred Heart is a 15-month-long program. Uh, it's 15, or sorry, 11-month-long program. It's $15,000. So for us, it was about, all right, if we're going to, ask people of color or try to engage people of color to switch over to this industry, $15,000 is a real number. That's a uh, lot of money. Yeah. Not to mention the time and energy, and Orrin can speak to it, the time and energy that it, that it takes to really actually go through this class. It's, it's designed so that you can still have a full-time job while doing it, but it's still no small task to, to take that on and pass the course. So we're, if we really want to provide that, it was important to us that we provided a full ride um, for the program and that that meant two things it meant we created an annual scholarship and an endowed scholarship because an endowed scholarship uh, for that amount of money would be a quarter of a million dollars two hundred fifty thousand dollars in order to have enough interest to spin off to pay in perpetuity 
Um, so we put a goal of five years on the table to raise that money in five years, but we didn't want to wait five years before we started making impact, putting people through this program. So we launched our annual scholarship at the same time as we kind of established the endowed scholarship. And I put the foundation together as a means to take the weight of trying of this initiative and this movement off of just being a NEBCO lift to being an industry lift, because I think it's important for, for people coming into this industry for the first time, especially black and brown folks to, to not feel like this is something that most of the industry doesn't really want something that the industry understands and is working towards. So it was important to me to, to, to try and gather people from different aspects of this industry and even outside the industry to, to, join this kind of committee that I put together. And the committee eventually evolved into a nonprofit 501c3 um, that kind of brought us to where we are today. And Oren, I want to bring you into this and sure. talk about, so you are, you're currently a professional brewer at Athletic Brewing Company. And before we were on, I was just singing athletics praises. And Jamal, I can sing Nibco's praises all day yeah. too. Like just, just so you know, I'm an equal opportunity um I don't know, whatever the opposite of an offender is, <laughs> supporter, the <laughs> champion, cheerleader. Um, yeah, I, I will cheer both of you on all day. But um, but you were also one of the first scholarship recipients. And so I, I want to talk about that. And then I love a good backstory. So I, I want to jump in into how you got interested in brewing as well. But tell me specifically, you know, what this means to be one of the first scholarship recipients. You now also sit on the board of the Change in the Air Foundation. And um, yeah, let's let's start there. I have like a million say, questions. Sure. <laughs> I'll start by saying this has been a, a great opportunity and a blessing for me to expand my role in, uh, in craft beer and just getting a better grasp on making beer as a whole. Um, I started working at a brewery up in Hartford, Hog River. Um, initially, I just started in the tap room, which gradually got me working more into the back of the house, helping out with canning and some of the production work. And this started in 2019. From there, um, I found out about the uh, the scholarship through visiting NEBCO and other respective um, entities they were promoting the program. So I just took kind of a leap of faith in, um, in signing up, one, for the program, and initially it was just like I would foot the bill to to pay for the program just because I seen an opportunity for myself working in the industry. I initially got started with um, Hog River. I was working in insurance and I wanted to kind of change it up. So I um, started working for the beer garden. And from there, they brought me on. And that just kind of piqued my interest more. So I seen an opportunity for me to kind of take it a step further in just the production that I was doing at Hog River and actually get some professional experience and education under my belt. From there, um, the program has been great. Jamal's been awesome. Just the community that is based around the program, like Sacred Heart runs the, uh, the education of the program, but all of the teachers and educators throughout the program are professionals in the industry who either work at a brewery or own a brewery. So we're getting firsthand experience from people not only in our area, but people who who have actually proof of concept of, you know, operating in this space. So it's been a, a great opportunity for me to learn and engage and um, really build a community of my own with um, with these folks. And what is it about brew? I think brewing is so freaking cool. Um, what is it about the actual because like there's art to it, there's science, there's alchemy, and it's connecting you to this history that is like millennia old, right? For sure. I would assimilate it to almost cooking. Like it's a, it's a tradition passed down hand to hand. And it's always kind of pushed the bounds of, you know, experimentation, but also taste and flavors, not only from your own palate, but from um, cultural palates in the different regions. You can kind of bring that all together and make a great product. Sometimes, you know, it's kind of off the wall and experimental, or you could, you know, really delve into the history and tradition of, you know, a regional flavor or style and um, kind of bring that to light and shed light on, you know, not only that region, but the style and really kind of make it your own. I actually want to talk about that. So um, just 
If you're just joining us here on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven, this is Arts Respond. I'm Lucy Gelman, and today I'm here with Jamal Robinson and Oren Ferris talking about the Change in the Air Festival coming up on October 14th from 12 to 5 p.m. at Bears Smokehouse. Uh, I think it's Bears Smokehouse and Barbecue. I always get the title a little different, um, but in uh, it's sort of the Mill River District of, of New Haven. And I actually want to talk about that because one thing that I find really fun about craft beer and craft brewing is there are always, and I think increasingly, um, like flavors that maybe you weren't expecting. So you have, I feel like IPAs had a moment. Maybe they're just always having a moment. They like they've had a moment for centuries. They're never going to go away, even even if you're not super into them. But um, but as more black brewers have entered the field, I'm curious, you know, if, if both of you have seen and experienced like more, you use the term, I think cultural palette or in um, sort of more references that were not existent in the field of craft beer coming in beforehand. Yeah, I would, um, I would definitely say there's been a lot more of a change in um, in flavors. Like initially, getting into craft beer, I was a you know West Coast IPA drinker. Um, Lagunitas uh, was one of my favorite. Then um, Blue Point, shout out to uh, Blue Point. But um, they were in uh, Magic Hat, of course. Those were kind of uh, the initial starts um, for me. And then kind of New England style IPAs blew up, and they've kind of had their run. Um, I would say that's where I really started. And then as of lately, I've kind of transitioned to more in traditional styles of beer, um, more lagers uh, from the uh, from the European region, kind of all over, especially um, Schwarz beers, which are um, just like a dark lager, which I really enjoy. So um, I would say that's been kind of my, my start, but with more uh, black and brown uh, breweries coming along, you see more of those traditional flavors and references. Um, actually, a classmate of mine, he's a home brewer, and he brings a lot of his uh, cultural influences of flavors into his beer. And I really appreciate just how the growth of, you know, brewers coming in and bringing their own flavor palettes in and how they can assimilate that to a finished product and how it's received by the community is is really great. I think that's true. Jamal, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I think uh, I couldn't have said it better myself. I, I think it's just, it's a reaction when a culture gets a hold of anything. Um, it's just pretty instinctive for a culture to then, you know, put its influence in, into whatever that thing is. So when we talk about beer, whether it's it's taken on by Caribbeans or Puerto Ricans or Africans, you know, the same way we do with food and cuisine is the same influences we're going to impart into, into beer. So you're going to see those familiar flavors, whether it's mango, whether it's uh, guava, whether it's coconut and these flavors that are kind of traditional to us, then uh, that's just an organic thing. And, and a great thing about the festival and the movement is not just about trying to, you know, take what is now a, a white dominated industry and just get a bunch of black and brown folks drinking beer. It's about giving the opportunity to take some ownership and evolve what the scene and the culture looks like as a whole from the perspective of different cultures and not just one. I'm also really interested about the the dialogue that is happening that both of you has, have experienced and been part of because I think about this when I read, I love reading restaurant reviews, but sometimes I get really PO'd because I, f I feel like the the writers of the reviews sometimes assume that like white is the default, which like we're we're in a country uh, that was cultivated by stolen people after land was also stolen, right? Um, so white has never been the default in this in in this place, and for a lot of people, even the idea of the United States is is totally arbitrary. And so, has have you experienced? Um, situations in which folks assume that like white, either white brewers or, um, you know, flavors that maybe they associate with white folks or predominantly white cultures. You mentioned um, uh, or in like beers from uh, Germany and I think Germany and, and Europe. 
and that tradition. And I think there's some assumption that that's also like white, which is absurd because it's not just white people in Europe. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'm, I guess I'm curious about the the dialogues that have been happening and, you know, whether you've seen a productive shift in the language. I think it's progressing in that direction, like just understanding that there are, you know, people outside of just, you know, what what you assume to be in this space, creating a product, that there are more folks that are, are bringing, you know, their own flavors and styles to it. But I would, as far as like the assumptions based off of, you know, minority versus white, um, I would I would say it comes more so on the production side. Like for instance, for me to speak up and say that I'm a brewer and be like, oh, you brew? You know what I mean? It's just the assumption that only, you know, these certain types of people make these kinds of products. Whereas like, no, you know what I mean? Like, and that's what kind of drove me to the program is to kind of differentiate myself, you know, to say that, you know, not only do I brew, but I'm, I've been formally educated in this space. And I actually, you know, have an understanding of how, you know, the production and, and formulation of this product is, is made. So I think that's, you know, a progressive change coming in this space, just understanding that, you know, there are more than just, you know, one type of people making this product and, you know, so just kind of broaden your horizons to say that, you know, there are, we can, you know, anybody can do anything, you know what I mean? As much as you, you want to, but it, you know, it just takes understanding that, you know, it, it can be done and that there are people in here, you know, looking to make strides and doing these things. And back to what you uh, mentioned as far as um, just regional product, regional creations. Um, I actually recently read an article that spoke to, um, beer being produced in Africa and it was actually made with um, fermenting bananas. So I found that interesting and it actually dates, it, it's said to predate the beer that was made in, you know, Germany and Europe as well. So I think there are some, some facts out there that aren't, you know, readily available that do speak to the, uh, the creation of these products outside of just one specific region. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. I would also love to read that article. I don't know where it was, but I would love to read that article. It sounds amazing. Um, I'll, I'll have to find it and pass that along to you. Yeah, thank you. So I, I want to talk about the festival itself, which is coming up on October 14th. So it's not just a beer festival for folks who are listening. It's brews, beats, eats, an art walk, and marketplace. So Jamal, this is taking a really intersectional approach to craft brewing. And I would love to talk about that. It also sounds like a really fun approach, right? Um, but yeah. but I want to talk about that because it's not just like you can go and, and drink some beer and get some good food, which sounds like a great time, by the way. But you can go, you can listen to some great music, you can buy some art, you can check out, um, I assume, small Black-owned businesses, which like that is really great. And I will say as a New Havener, I'm really proud of how many... Um, Black-owned businesses we have in both the city and the state more widely. Yeah, I think, you know, from from the bones of the festival, yes, it's a beer festival, but it was important for us to create, you know, a, a cultural festival and an event that, again, that Black and Brown community and culture can uh, engage with craft beer in a comfortable setting. So we wanted to create an event that Black and Brown folks would want to be to, like an event that Orrin and I would want to actually go to and be at. Um, built around our cultures and, and celebrating and highlighting our cultures and not just using it as a as a trope to kind of draw in people of color. So uh, all the music, our, our DJs and our bands are black and brown. Um, all of our vendors, we have we have 32 breweries, uh, brewery signeries and bourbon uh, signed up for the festival. Uh, but we also have, uh, and there's not a lot of black owned breweries. We have two black owned breweries in Connecticut, uh, Rhythm Brewing and Best Friends Lunch or, or will both be at the festival. Uh, we have 1970-somethings, um, uh, a Black-owned bourbon uh, out of Connecticut that will also be at the festival this year. But it's also about highlighting the other parts of Black and Brown communities. So especially art, when you look at any can of beer, the art is a huge aspect of, of what brings the liquid inside that can to life in a presentable way. Um, so we have 15 Black and Brown artists that will be at the festival displaying their art and selling their art. Um, for us, we look at them as a part of what makes the festival real. So this year, we're excited about having enough grant money and sponsorships to be able to pay all the visual artists to just 
to be there and vend their art and not just ask them to come be a part of our festival, but actually paying them for their time because artists don't get the shake that they should get and the, the presentation that they should get. Um, we also have, we will have four live murals happening at the festival this year as well. Um, so like uh, to be immersed in in art being created specifically around the festival is, is just a, 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 an awesome experience. And those are all black and brown uh, artists as well. And then another 30 black and brown vendors in terms of businesses um, from crafts to um, food goods to anything. And then on top of that, we've got uh, half a dozen black and brown food vendors um, everything from Caribbean to African and, and Latin diaspora, um, all mixed into that. So, and then we also don't segregate the aspects of the festival. So you've got a brewery next to an artist, next to a vendor, next to a food vendor, next to another brewery, which like forces this mentality of collaboration and conversation and, and community as a whole. We're, not, we're looking to to bring everyone together in a way. So you sample a beer, you're instinctively drawn to who's at the next booth, but then also having, you know, a brewer maybe talking to an artist that they wouldn't have had an, an opportunity to have a, a conversation before and bringing that economic impact into a place that creates and provides opportunity as well. Um, so even we just uh, were launching today, actually a collaboration with uh, Lawson's Brewery up in, up in Vermont and uh, DJ Dooley, um, a New Haven legend is the one that did the, the art for the can itself. So, and he's a, he's an artist. He's been a DJ at our festival, but he's also an artist vending art at the festival as well. So it's about this like full circle aspect of not just providing opportunity and exposure, but trying to create opportunity and foster conversation and build real relationships uh, between it all. And you've also been building those bridges in New Haven. So I, I know I mentioned the Seeing Sounds Festival earlier. Um, tell me about that. So. Change in the Air Festival is now in its third year. I should know this off the top of my head. Yeah, third, no, year. third year. Yeah, yeah, time time feels like really porous right now, <laughs> at least. Yeah, for especially me, we I think... launched the festival the first year during COVID. So that right. was a crazy year in general. <laughs> um, right. And COVID, I think COVID did something to all of our heads. Yeah. So That's tell fair. me about, you know, building, building those bridges. And Oren, I would also love to hear from you because you are in a different place professionally now than you were, you know, when this began. Yeah, absolutely. Good. <laughs> no, I was going to say absolutely. Like um, the change in the air festival has been, you know, a great opportunity and experience for me, just starting from being a vendor, being there on behalf of a vendor, um, respectively Hog River, they're representing them, but, you know, just to be, within, you know, the community of the event, I really, you know, saw the benefit of all these folks coming together, engaging, and really, you know, building the bridges like um like Jamal has mentioned. It's it's been a great uh been a great run. I'm looking forward to being kind of on the other side this year, um, being on the board and just really helping out and supporting, you know, not only the vendors, but all of our respective board members and really putting up on a great event for um for everyone. Yeah, and those relationships are are huge because we, we talked about as a board this year that, you know, it's one thing when we, we throw a festival one day a year, that we're really trying to make change on a level that is is more than just trying to get people to sign up for the scholarship. It's also about really trying to, we have to provide opportunity for a black and brown culture to sample craft beer in ways that that are like, that makes sense. So that means bringing craft beer into black and brown communities. So that means collaborating with um, people who are already doing dope events in the city and around the city and and trying to bring value to their event by doing, We part of our thing was kind of doing these change in the air pop-up beer gardens um, at these events where we bring craft beer into that space and sample it in a space that, that black and brown folks are already comfortable in and already doing what they're doing already having an event that's built around us and uh, and then just providing free easy access to trying a bunch of things that maybe they wouldn't have tried before um and and that's the huge part of it craft beer got huge because of exposure you know because of it was exposed to white folks and presented and available like it's you know craft beer currently doesn't really exist in black and brown communities it's not at our stores and at our places that we that we traditionally hang out in or or eat at or go to so if we we want to make some real change we we got to meet people where they are we got to be thoughtful and intentional about that um so collaborations like 
uh, seeing sounds. Shout out to Trey through throwing an amazing event. Uh, we were proud to be a part of that and collaborated with that um, in, in, in bringing what we do to his already very successful event. Uh, but then other collaborations like Wind Down CT and um, we're actually working with the city of New Haven now and uh, to, to do what we're calling Cedar Park as a, a pop-up beer garden downtown New Haven that is a change in the air beer garden space. And the idea of that being um, our first event being two weeks before our festival, that'll be September 30th. Um, that's a free event downtown New Haven in Pitkin Plaza and the corner lot that connects Pitkin Plaza. Um, so there's about, call it almost 9,000 square foot space there that we'll be kind of taking over and turning into this pop-up event, mini change in the air, where it'll be very similar aspects to what we have have and change in the air, giving people a taste of what they could get. They buy tickets to change in the air. We'll have six breweries there sampling beers. We'll have local artists. We'll have local vendors. We'll have live music and DJs. And we'll kind of take over this, this space downtown with the idea that this is a bit of a proof of concept and that give us the time and energy to plan for next year to become a seasonal space for next summer that, that pops up kind of every weekend. Um, originally, the idea was like, this would be a great space for a beer garden and uh, and in great conversations we were able to pivot them from going to just a beer garden which would be successful pops up in every other city around the country but it's a, a, a pretty traditionally white space and i don't think we even need another one of those so this was about give us the opportunity as a foundation to collaborate with other black and brown leaders to create a, a collaborative space to do the beer garden concept but do it in a way that provides diversity and equity um, for downtown new haven in a, in a cool and unique way so we're excited about that. And that's just about making sure that what we do one day a year as a festival isn't one day a year, that it's it's residual and long-term. I will say shout out to Adrian Jeff Jefferson with the Department of Art, Arts, Culture, and Tourism, which lives under economic development for the city. I know that what you're describing is like 999.99%. When you say the city, it's like 99% Adrian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, and she is just a mover and a shaker and an incredible person. And we're really, really lucky to have her in New Haven. Um, you know, for both of you, I'm curious, and, and maybe you don't get pushback around craft beer because this is the world that you're so in already. You know, but I'm curious if you've had discussions where you've had to like present an argument for like for craft beer on behalf of craft beer. Cause I know occasionally folks um, have said to me like, like that's fancy or um, I'm, sour beers are a whole other thing. And maybe we'll leave that out of that. This um, cause often people will say to me, well, that's girly beer. Uh, so maybe we won't even touch that. <laughs> well, I will but, say, yeah. Sorry. Um, I would no, say that don't apologize. it's all about, um, it's, it's largely about exposure and uh, people getting the opportunity to see that it is more. It's one thing when you're just kind of looking from the outside and you're like, ah, beer is beer. But when I started in craft beer, uh, I was doing beer fest and I was working for small breweries. Nobody was drinking craft beer. So I was educating white folks back then on why craft beer is cool and why it's different and why it's not just Bud Light. Um, and then once people got exposed to it and more and more people got exposed to it, then we kind of got this, this movement that's starting. So I think with anything, it's like good product, right? Whether it's good food, good bourbon, good wine, good people, it's all about being exposed to those good things to understand that they are good and different and not what you're necessarily used to seeing all the time. So education and exposure are huge. It's a huge part of what made craft beer what it is. And it's a huge part of what's going to continue to make it. So when people say it's fancy, um, I love that because I like to give people the opportunity to try a bunch of different things and realize, listen, it's it's a compliment. It's easy to make beer. It's not easy to make good beer. Um, but with beer having, like, so, you know, people kind of equate fancy to wine. And I always joke, uh, sort of joke, and I'm like, wine is, you know, largely based on this one grape you know, or these grapes. It's like you, you grow this this grape, this aspect, you crush the grape, you ferment the grape, you drink the juice, and that's kind of what it is. And you've got beer now that uses multiple ingredients that all have its own different flavor identities coming from thousands of different varietals for each one of those that all come together to, to provide something that pairs much better than wine with food and with occasion and drink. And there's a lot of people that are 
argue that, so I'm not going to take a hard stance, but it's just basically this, it's this entity, this, this thing that is made from multiple ingredients that, that allows an, an immense variety of flavors to come out of those ingredients to give people perspectives that are familiar to them, depending on where they are, what they're doing, what they enjoy. So it's a lot more approachable from a, from a palate perspective. I think it's a lot more diverse in general. Orange is brewing. No, I will follow that up with saying that, you know, people tend to be creatures of habit. So they tend to, you know, gravitate to what they're most familiar with. And more times than not, it's the larger establishments when it comes to beer. And, you know, not knowing that there's an assimilation within the craft beer space that they can, you know, enjoy and it's quality and it's local, you know, which is another benefit I feel is, you know, is to support a local business, you know, especially in the, in the, in the craft beer space. Like I can, you know, drive 10, 12 miles and get a quality beer. I don't necessarily have to go to the grocery store and, you know, buy a 30 pack of Bud Light or whatever your respective drink is to, to enjoy. You can get something in your own backyard. That is, you know, of, of same quality and same level of enjoyment. So I would agree that it's really just about, you know, exposure and educating people that, you know, there are good quality products right in your backyard that you can, you know, you can find and enjoy. And Jamal, Oren, so Oren told us how he got into um, first the brewery space and then the brewing space. For you, like, what is your beer backstory? How did you get into this work? Um. <laughs> So I think it's a big part of why I'm so passionate about trying to provide uh, access uh, into the industry now, because I got into the business, I was working at a Jewish deli in Vernon, uh, and I was the only brother in that space as well. Uh, but it was like, I got an internship uh, with an Anheuser-Busch wholesaler. Uh, the VP of the wholesaler was a regular in my section all the time, a nice guy, and thought I was a hard worker, and, uh, and happened to, he came in on my 18th birthday, and offered me an internship at the wholesalership that summer. And I actually blew it off. Uh, my mom was the one that <laughs> forced me to call him because um, she was like, this is opportunity. This is why we moved to a white neighborhood to find opportunity. And this is a great opportunity. Don't, don't squander it. Um, so I called him and got an internship that summer before co going into college. So I was 18 and um, I had come home that, that next year and they allowed me to continue my internship and, and stay full time. And then I ended up really falling in love with craft beer because uh, a position opened up through Anheuser Bush where they were really trying to, you know, AB saw the writing on the wall that craft beer was starting to, to climb. So they were throwing a whole bunch of innovative products at the table, some that were craft ish and craft like. They, they had just bought Goose Island and they were starting to kind of come into this space. And they wanted one person every wholesaler focused on the innovative and craft side of the business. And everyone at the wholesaler was a bunch of uh, older white dudes that were used to selling Bud and Bud Light, and they didn't want to have to learn something new. Um, so I kind of got the position by default. And they actually told me that if I if I didn't if it didn't work out uh, with me taking the position, that they'd have to let me go because a I was I was underage. I couldn't drink the product. I was still I was twenty when they had offered me the, the position. And uh, so I went to uh, about a dozen different uh, training classes through Anheuser Busch at different at different places that were like intense multi-day long training sessions about marketing, marketing to the demographic, um, understanding beer, sampling, uh, sensory, and all the aspects that came with that. And but I couldn't actually I had to pass the exams on the test without actually being able to sample the product. Um, and I think that actually made me fall more in love with it because through through sensory and smelling and, and and visuals and the information i just like was like wow this is not bud light this is a different thing this is really really cool this really does smell like chocolate and and roasted malt and this does smell like uh like these hops are citrusy and, and big and it was more than just bitterness to me and then i got into this i just fell in love with it went down the, the rabbit hole and then got into it and then when i really got into it i made the transition to work for a small brewery at the time blue point brewing company out of long island I was their first sales rep outside of New York. Um, and he kind of took a chance on me because we were coming in, they were coming into the state. I was the only one at the wholesaler that knew anything about craft beer and cared about it. And uh, it was an opportunity to kind of build something more or less from the ground up. And the culture was completely different than, than Anheuser-Busch, where Anheuser-Busch was very brand loyal, you know, corporate kind of energy, um, big drinking culture, but very corp corporate in the sense. And he was like, you drink Anheuser-Busch products or you 
don't work here type of thing. And craft beer was the complete opposite. It was this like this open-minded, laid back, um, kind of bootstrap scrappy industry where everybody drank each other's beer and helped each other with things they needed and shared ingredients if they needed. And I remember riding with the owner of Blue Point uh, on my very first ride with when he came into the territory. And we went to an account. I was all excited about showing him this new account that I'd gotten and we were going to drink our beer at that account. And it was this this place called the Ginger Man. I don't know if you know, remember with it. it was one in Norwalk. Um, and they had, you know, a hundred different beers on tap. And I was excited to be like, all right, we got, we got toasted lager on in here. And we sat down and he's like, Hey man, we know what our beer tastes like. Let's try all these other beers. And it was like, <laughs> blew my mind as to riding around with the owner of a company that was like, wanted to drink other beers than what we sold and made. And it was just a different, a whole different culture. And I just fell in love with everything about it. Um, and I've been riding it. So that's kind of, yeah, I guess my, my long winded come up story. That's how I got here. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's um, I love a long-winded story. It's um, and and I think that's great. And I, guess, I say that to yeah. say also, sorry. The I was in a very white space that provided me access into this industry um, that I wouldn't have had access into otherwise. A lot of people that get into the, the craft beer side, working for a brewery as a sales rep, especially, it's usually because you. A lot of times, I should say, it's you work at a restaurant and you're a bartender and you know the wholesaler rep that comes in or you know the family that owns a wholesaler because most wholesalers are family owned um, or you are um, working at a liquor store or a package store you know you've got some sort of front of house exposure experience into the industry that kind of that, that relationship between them has kind of segued into it and you usually work for a wholesaler first and then because you're working at a wholesaler you've got access to these breweries and then you can kind of transition into the brewery which is exactly how i got in and then my story is not very unique to a lot of other people that are in the industry now. Um, but those are all white spaces and those are all spaces where you need to be front of house in a white space to kind of have those relationships or even the exposure to know that this is even a thing that you can do. Um, so for us, the, you know, when we talk about collaborating with other events and black and brown communities that already exist, bringing craft beer into black culture and into black spaces, creating new spaces itself, it's about changing what the access and the exposure looks like in order to know that this industry exists, that opportunities exist, and certainly the the segue into actually getting into the industry itself. Um, so I do want to talk about how folks can support before we run out of time, but I also just want to talk about the fact that there is also a beer, like an eponymously named beer now, right? Um, Change in the air. It's a tropical blonde air with mango, which sounds delicious. And it is coming out of Lawson's Finest Liquids and uh, a collaboration between them and Nebco. And all, so my understanding is the proceeds go directly to the foundation. Yep. The, uh, the um, Lawson's has been very generous. They've been great partners with us uh, since we, since we kicked this off. The, the local sales rep um, is a good friend of mine, Joey O, Joey Orsini, shout out to Joe, Ooh. who helped kind of bring this all together. Um, him and I came up in the business together. We used to work at that Anheuser-Busch uh, wholesaler back in the day together. Um, so it's great to kind of have us on two different sides of the brewery to, to be able to come together and make this collaboration. But yes, the proceeds go directly to the Change in the Air Foundation, and uh, in which in turn goes directly to our African-American Brewer Scholarship, the endowment fund that we are uh, fundraising for. And I will say this, like, beautiful. I'm looking at the can right now. The beautiful can is designed by our own Julio. Yes, ma'am. Um, with his like pretty signature um, graffiti, I I feel like this is pretty signaturely him. Um, yeah. And some you got some mangoes, you got some people who look like they're just drinking beer and having a good time, and maybe listening to some good music. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's great. So if if folks are hearing this, how can they support the foundation? And then of course, um, if folks are hearing this, how can they attend on October fourteenth? Yeah, I think Bears is at 470 James Street, but we will check that before the end of the episode. Right, and um, from noon to 5 p.m., um, you know, come out and support you because, yes, this is about beer and craft brewing, but this is also about the scholarship and making sure that folks are able to go through this program. Exactly. Um, so there's multiple ways they can support us. One, they can buy a ticket to the Changing Air Fest. That's a great way. Um, two, they can go to our website, changingtheairfest.com, and there's a link there to uh, to buy a ticket. We're selling the tickets through Eventbrite, so you can go directly to Eventbrite. 
or you can go to our website. There's also an, a section on our website where you could donate. If you want to just make a donation to the scholarship, you can do that directly from our website. Make it real, real easy. A couple of button clicks. Um, but also uh, you can uh, support us through our Instagram and uh, Facebook, of course, Change the Air Fest. Um, but most importantly, of course, donating to the scholarship or buying a ticket to the festival or pulling up at uh, Cedar Park, which is happening next Saturday. It's kind of our little pre-Change in the Air Festival event. Um, we're giving away tickets to Change in the Air at that event. Um, but you can also, there'll be plenty of opportunity to, to QR codes and stuff to just donate and uh, and help support the cause. We have $250,000 to raise. We are about $110,000 into that fundraising so far. Um, this is year three. We set that goal for five years. Um, and shout out to, we didn't say it yet, but shout out to Athletic Brewing uh, because Athletic Brewing, when we first started our annual scholarship, they reached out to me directly and were like, hey, we love what you're doing. We'd love to add another $15,000 a year to help you put two students a year through that program. So since we've started this, we've actually put six students in total through the program, four of which are working in the industry now, which is just dope. Um, two of which are black women, um, including this year's NEDCO uh, scholarship recipient. Um, so I'm sorry, three of which are black women. So we have uh, so shout out to Athletic. They're also our main stage sponsor for the festival. Um, they So they help us actually make this festival a, a reality. Um, and also shout out to Lawson's and our, and our other beer sponsors, Lawson's, Athletic, um, Alvarium, Two Roads, Graysale, Kit Brewing, uh, uh, Allagash, uh, and of course, Nepco being our title sponsor, have all you know, put some dollars up, put their money where their mouth is to help us make this thing an actual festival because festivals are expensive and uh, you can't do it without support. And of course, in the city of New Haven, um, uh, they gave us a really big grant this year to help make this a reality and also is giving us the means to help execute and make Cedar Park a real thing as well. Yeah, that's awesome. So if folks don't check you out, really, they have no excuse. That's really <laughs> no what we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I, I mean, what I also love about the Change in the Air Festival, so obviously, yes, this is about craft beer and craft brewing and getting folks into it. But if you don't drink, there's still stuff for you to do there. Right. Um and I, I will also say um, for folks who haven't experienced athletic brewing yet, please experience it. Also experience Nebco um, and every everything in between and Rhythm Brewing. We love Elisa Bowens. If you're listening, Elisa, we love you so much. And we're excited for everything that you do. She's um, not only one of my favorite brewers, but also one of my favorite Salseras. So just a <laughs> really, really, really talented woman. Um so, she'll be doing a uh, she'll be doing a salsa lesson at Cedar Park, and uh, she amazing. also sets support for the festivals for the foundation as well. So yes, so so folks, check that out. Cedar Park on September thirtieth, and the yep. Change in the Air Festival on Saturday, October fourteenth, from noon to five p.m. That's a big, beautiful window of time. You can go at the beginning, you can go near the end, you can go anytime in between. You got five whole hours at um, Bear Smokehouse and Barbecue. That's at four seventy James Street in New Haven's Mill River District. The final question I always ask folks is, you know, you're doing a lot. Planning a festival is a, is a lot of work on top of the fact that you have jobs. Mm. So how do you unwind or or how do you practice self-care? It's a good question. Um, <laughs> meditation, truly, <laughs> and, uh, and meditative chores, like uh, for one being, uh, I spend a lot of time in my garden, actually, as, as corny as that may sound, uh, that helps level my head and balance because it's easy to burn the candle at both ends. Uh, being the director of sales and marketing here in NEPCO uh, while, you know, trying to, to lead and run a nonprofit um, and, and plan these these events. Uh, it's easy to go crazy <laughs> and stress myself out. And uh, shout out to my wife who, who has to deal with uh, me losing sleep uh and getting up early to to be in the garden and, and make sure I got that mental space. So that's how that's how I make it all work. But it's working. Yeah, and that doesn't sound cheesy, by the way. Gardening is it is therapeutic. Or and what about you? I would say the same. Um, meditation, yoga are my top two, and then I don't have a garden. I have house plants that I tend to, which is you know just as much of an of an ordeal. I mean, definitely on a smaller scale. It's not a homestead or anything, but you know. I, I do spend uh, quite a bit of time of repotting, pruning, propagating. So um, a lot of time doing that and then really just time with the family. 
just to, you know, kind of relax, revive and, you know, receive that energy from the ones who know me best is, is really a, a good benefit as well for myself. Yeah. Is your, you mentioned Hartford, is your family still around like the Hartford area? Yeah. Majority of my family is in the Hartford oh. area. I do have some um, scattered throughout uh, the Connecticut area and um, other regions of the area, but my, uh, my main core family is, um, is here in uh, the Hartford Bloomfield Windsor area. Amazing. And, and I will say, because we're going into the weekend, if both of you had a beer that is not coming out of your respective breweries that you think, you know, folks have to try in the spirit, Jamal, of trying other folks' beers, what would it be? I drink anything that's good, especially if it's not beer. <laughs> that is so diplomatic. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm going to be a little biased and say, um, if I have a go-to, it's probably going to be a Seahag IPA. But I mean, and that's because I had one last night. So, yeah. you know, respectively, that is um, a bit of a go-to for myself. Um, tried and true, it, it doesn't deviate from, you know, the first time I've had it. So it's definitely a, a solid one for me. Amazing. I want to thank both of you so much for joining me today on Arts Respond on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. When we share this episode, uh, we will share out the way to get tickets for the Change in the Air Festival on October 14th. We'll share out the CETA pop-up that's happening on September 30th. And uh, if you haven't read it, but you're interested in reading a little bit more about this, There is an article in the arts paper at newhavenarts.org about the city's allocation of ARPA funds for different arts and cultural projects, including the Change in the Air Festival. So do check that out. And I don't know if you feel like shouting out Adrienne Jefferson because she's just an amazing city official. Today's always, really any day is a good day to do it. Oh, yeah. Um, Shout out. Lauren Ferris and Jamal Robinson, thank you so much for joining me and have a beautiful weekend. Don't get wet. It's supposed to be very soggy. (laughs) <laughs> thanks for having us and thanks for highlighting this Appreciate oh you, you bet thank you for your time Take appreciate care. it very much you as well